All right, let's dive in. The letter this week is 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, Paul has a special urgency. The whole letter has a special urgency to it. Why? Because Paul was once again imprisoned. He's in Rome. He doesn't think he's going to make it this time. And he doesn't. Because not long after writing this letter, Nero puts him to death. So this is Paul's, actually his last letter, the last letter that he wrote. We're going to study a couple more of Paul's letters after this, but this was actually the last letter that Paul wrote before he was put to death, before he was martyred, because he's an ambassador of Christ and because he shares the gospel unashamed in this broken world. It's full of emotion, 2 Timothy, as Paul is calling for Timothy to come to him. 2 Timothy 1.4, recalling your tears, Paul says, I long to see you. So that I might be filled with joy. Near the end of the letter he says, do your best to come to me quickly. Sometimes we forget the humanity that's in the pages of scripture. And we just jump from doctrine to doctrine and truth to truth. Which is something that God's word obviously has for us. But there's also a lot of humanity I think that's important because we're dealing with things in life. And God's word helps lead us through those things. So Paul wants his spiritual son by his side because he knows that the end is really near. And one of the reasons he wants his spiritual son to come to him quickly is because everyone else was abandoning him. Yeah, the great apostle Paul. The one you would think, man, that's the guy I want to be around. That's the guy I want to be like, you know, next to every day if I could be. Just in his shadow, God's healing people. I mean, the words that he's speaking, the teaching that he's doing, the miracles that are following him. Yeah, I want to be around Paul. But you know what? Everyone was walking away. You know, we often judge things based on how many followers somebody has. I mean, come on, social media, it's all about that. How many followers? How many views? How many likes? How many people in your church? You know, that's, that's one of the first questions I get as a pastor. Oh, how many people go to your church? And you know what? I'm, I'm just like, why don't people ask, hey, what's God doing in your church? How's your church impacting your community? Are you seeing God move? Are you hearing his voice? What, what's happening? How are the marriages in your church? How about the kids when they grow up? Do they go off the rails or are they still following Jesus? How about those kind of things? Nobody asks those kinds of things. Everybody wants to know how many people? How many followers? Because if you say a lot, then you must be pretty important. Meanwhile, Paul is alone. The man who God used to write and bring to us half the New Testament is virtually alone as everybody walks away from him. It's not always about the ones with the big followings. Jesus, in the end, did you, how many people were there with Jesus? Three that we know of. His mom, Mary Magdalene, and John. The cross, everyone else, you, gone, out of there. Man, he must have been a failure. Didn't have a big following. Paul, where is everybody? Look, most people like to be part of something when it's exciting and when it's easy. Come on, be real. We want to be something, part of something that's, that's exciting and easy. 
But you begin to follow, figure out who the real followers are, who the real members are, who the real you know, people that are really committed are when you see it not be so exciting and not so easy. So when Paul starts to suffer and it wasn't woke to be associated with him any longer, people began to drop like flies. They began to run from him. And Paul writes, you know that everyone, and he's talking about Christians here, 2 Timothy 1.15, he's talking about Christians. You know that everyone, all these Christians in the province of Asia, they've deserted me. And then again, the kind of names you don't want to be, this is not how you want to be mentioned in the Bible, including Phagellus and Hermogenes. Everyone. He says everyone. This man planted church after church. He preached to thousands and tens of thousands. I mean, lives were changed. Generations changed forever. And everyone in the province of Asia, crickets, they were gone. In his time of need. It's just the way life is. We think, man, we live in such a consumer-based society, you know, easy believism kind of world. Well, it was that way back then, too. It was that way with Paul. It was that way with Jesus. Consumer-based. What's in it for me? Am I right? I mean, that's, that's how, what's in it for me? People today, what's in it for me? When, it, when, when there's something I, I can get from a church, I'm going to stick around. When I don't feel like I'm getting it anymore, I'm going to hop to someplace else and see if I get it there. Some place that's maybe easier, some place that, that feels a little more exciting, some place that has the, my favorite worship songs, you know, because if I don't have my favorite songs, because then it's about me, I like the songs. Well, what about just singing to Jesus? What, what about that? You know what I'm saying? I'm looking for my next blessing. I'm not getting goose. I haven't had a goose bump at Evan Life Church for three weeks. I'm going to go see if there's someplace else that maybe has the goosebump blessing going on right now. You know, and so we hop and we jump and we run, all that kind of silliness. And then if a pastor calls the church like to take some action or maybe some sacrifice, look out. Now, I will say that's, that's not the case here in this church because you all are the brave ones because I usually am kind of in your face, and because God's in my face. You know, I always say, I get it all week long, and then I just delivered you what I've been getting all week long from the Lord, right? And so he's in my face. If you ever feel like, you know, like, man, Pastor Eric is just kind of beating me up and kicking me and all this kind of stuff, I've already been beat up and kicked by the Holy Spirit all week long, all right? So it's all good. It's God working in us. It's him, it's him, it's him perfecting us and, and, and making us better and stronger and and more like Christ. So in the, in the process of all this, you know, kind of consumer stuff, a lot of pastors will cave. And, and I kind of get it in some way, because you all are that way too. Some of you will cave in life because you want people to stick around you. You want to be liked. You don't want people to bail on you. You don't want to be shunned. You want to have followers, you know, online, social media, and some people cave. Pastors will cave sometimes, and they'll just say, you know what, I'm going to keep things on the surface level, and, and I'm just going to teach things that, that, that people want to hear, and, and Paul, in this letter to Timothy, talks about those itching ears, by the way, says, well, you know, those people that just tell people what they want to hear, look out for those people, don't give them the platform, don't give them a place of leadership in the church, but it's so easy to go there. 
because people so easily just kind of move if their ears aren't getting tickled and, and all that kind of stuff. If you're not scratching the itch. If you're not giving a message that's all about them and how their life can be better, it's like, well, well the other pastor tells me how my life can be better. And, and he opens the Bible and he shows me how my life can be better every time he opens the Bible. Well, you know what I want to do? I want to open the Bible and I want to show you Jesus. Because I believe that's what the Bible is for. It's to show us Jesus. And then some will even distort the Bible to fit the, the wokeness of our culture. And then we wonder why our, the church is so ineffective today. Why darkness advances, why Christians remain spiritual babies, why, why you look at divorce rates and in, in supposedly with Christians are, are, are the same as with the world and you wonder why is all of that. And I mean, come on, man. Paul dealt with the same thing as what I'm saying. People loved him when they loved him. And then when somebody else was saying something they'd rather hear and Paul was just getting a little too intense, it's like, Paul, who's Paul? We got some other, somebody else that's kind of the big, the big deal today. Church being ineffective, bound up in the flesh. Oh. All right, key verse. That was a little soapbox. Thank you for letting me <laughs> vent a little bit. Appreciate that. Y'all are, y'all are good. I don't need to go to the counselor this week. Okay, so um, I believe the key verse for, for 2 Timothy is this. It's found in 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. It says, but you, this is Paul talking to Timothy. This is Paul talking to his spiritual son, to somebody who he's discipled and raised up in the faith. He says, but you, you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. That'd be the title of today's message, Fulfill Your Ministry. Fulfill your ministry. I want to encourage us. I want to challenge every single one of us. And I want to make sure that everybody here understands this. You have a ministry to fulfill. Every single one of us. You're a minister. You're a minister. And you have a ministry to fulfill. And some days it'll be easy and you'll get goosebumps and it'll be awesome. And some days it'll be like you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death and you want to run away as fast as possible. I've had it. That's enough. But Paul says to Timothy, endure those afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist meaning share Jesus with others, and fulfill your ministry. Don't cave, don't compromise, don't go woke, don't take the easy route. Remain faithful, remain faithful. And the challenge to Timothy and to us begins with this, and this is point number one today, don't be ashamed of Jesus. We are called to fulfill our ministry, and it begins with this, don't be ashamed of Jesus. And you might be thinking, I would never, pastor, do you know me? I would never be ashamed of Jesus. In fact, I would take a selfie with Jesus and put it up on social media today. That's how unashamed I am of Jesus. Well, that's so cute. That's so cute. I'm sure Peter would have said the same thing. I'd take a selfie with Jesus and post it on Instagram. And the next thing you know... He's 
Jesus who? No, I'm not, I'm not one of his followers. What are you talking about? And the crow is, and you know what I'm saying? Our actions speak louder than words. And this is found in Paul's encouragement to Timothy. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. And Paul says to Timothy in, in, in verse 8, says, So do not be ashamed. Now, you want to know how to not be ashamed of Jesus? Here it is right here. Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. It's one thing to say you're not ashamed of Jesus when you're all alone at home in your little prayer closet. It's one thing to say you're not ashamed of Jesus when you're in the four walls of the church. Paul tells Timothy, here's how you really show it, and here's how it's really evident in your life. Don't be ashamed to testify. Tell others about our Lord. Or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join me in suffering, maybe losing some social media followers even, in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then Paul compares the Christian life to, to three different types of people. First, a soldier, and he compares the Christian life to an athlete, and then to a farmer. And all three of these types of people have a, have a few things in common. All of them are committed to something bigger than them. The soldier's committed to something bigger. The athlete is committed to something bigger, right? There's no I in team, right? You know that kind of thing, right? And the farmer is committed to something bigger. And all three of these also are willing to sacrifice for something greater. All of them. Talk to a farmer. Talk about sacrifice. Talk about those long winters. We know about soldiers and what they've sacrificed. But then Paul gives Jesus as the ultimate example of this. And he presents it in this beautiful, really it's kind of like a poem in verses 11 through 13, where Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him, speaking of Jesus. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. We, some people think that like that's faithful to us. No, it's faithful to himself because Paul even says, for he cannot disown himself. Look, faithfulness to Jesus can be costly. Following Jesus is committing ourselves to something better. It's willing to sacrifice for something greater. But it is so good and so worth it. A life lived for Jesus is a life lived sharing Jesus with others. So I want to go back to that. How do you know if you're unashamed? Really, how do you know if you're unashamed of Jesus? You'll share Jesus with others. You'll open your mouth and you'll speak his name. I just felt compelled even in the last couple weeks. And I put a new banner up right there on Gilbert Road. Jesus saves. I'm like, we're a church. 
The name of Jesus needs to be right out there for everybody to see. When people come to downtown Gilbert and they want to go out to some nice restaurant or, or they want to go get, do things they shouldn't do at the bar or whatever that might be, they're going to drive right by something that reminds them Jesus saves. We're going to testify to the truth of Jesus. He's who you need. Not just another expensive meal and definitely not just another drink. You need Jesus. He saves. Jesus saves. Do you want to know if you're unashamed? Do you testify? Do you speak the name of Jesus to others? Do you share Jesus with others? Do you bring Jesus into the conversation? Do not be ashamed to testify of Jesus, Paul tells Timothy. This is a man in prison who's about to be put to death by Nero. Don't be ashamed to speak the name of Jesus. Be who you are. Say what you know. Give what you have. I want to give just a quick, give you a little story. So Pastor Phil and I went to the For Our Town gathering. It was a week ago Thursday morning. And it was, <laughs> there was some... They, I always know when I go to these town type things, I'm just like driving there going, Lord, I know you're going to have me, they're going to ask me to say something. I just know it because it always is. And I, you know, and the thing is, you know, ah, can I just attend something? You know what I'm saying? I don't know. I just, sometimes I just want to be there. Just like, just, just sit there and listen. Um, but I get there and of course I ask, hey, Pastor Eric, would you open us up in prayer? The person who was scheduled to pray, right, uh-huh, I bet, it isn't here. Uh, anyway, I'm not calling anybody a liar in the me, but um, isn't here. Can you open us up in prayer? Because, oh, yeah, you're a pastor. Yeah, well, you should do that, which is great. I'm glad that they do that, right? And so I open up in prayer. But then they asked us to go around and to share who we are, 15 seconds, who you are and, you know, who you're with or something like that. And I'd already introduced myself because I prayed, and, and, but I introduced myself again when Pastor Phil introduced himself. I'm Pastor Phil. I'm so, you know, amazing. And all, No, he doesn't do that. He is so humble. He's so humble. He's wonderful. And um, sorry about that. <laughs> if you know Phil, you know he would never say that. But anyway, we say that about him instead. So um, then, then he hands the mic to me, and I just, do, I just do that. The mic gets two more people down, and I went to myself, oh, my goodness, Eric. You just missed an opportunity to just share the gospel in 15 seconds with everybody in this room. And I was just like, oh. Now, I could have just felt shame, for, you know, for the rest of the day. I felt it for a little while. I felt disappointment. I felt a little discouraged with myself on that, that I wasn't right on the money with it. I know I just prayed in Jesus' name. I know that. But, I mean, I had the opportunity just to say it. You know what I'm saying? And um, I regretted that. Well, then I had a, I had a week later, I was meeting myself with... Um, just a, a one-on with, anyway, with the mayor of, of Gilbert. There was my, they, they asked me to come in to share about some ideas for the new Faith Summit and maybe reorganizing things because, frankly, what's been going on has been like, anyway. So it was a privilege that they wanted my opinion on this. And I went in, and I just said, look, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to tell you this needs to be Christ-centered. And I just talked about Jesus, and I said the importance that we got to, we need to bring Jesus into this meeting. Anyway, my point is this. 
Beloved, we need to be those who are not ashamed to speak Jesus. And we need to be those who, are, who, are, who have Jesus on the tip of our tongue. And when we're given the opportunity to, to, to share that, that contextually in a Holy Spirit-directed way that we testify of Jesus and we bring him into whatever the room conversation, meeting, gathering relationship is that we have. Unashamed. Fulfilling our ministry. So before Timothy comes to, to Paul, Paul wants to make sure Timothy wraps some things up in the church there in Ephesus. And if you remember from uh, his first letter, there's some issues going on in Ephesus. Not like there's any issues in any churches around here today, right? But, but there were some issues in Ephesus, and Paul says, I want you here as fast as you can, but there's a couple things. Make sure you got these things wrapped up. Do it quickly and get over here because my days are numbered. Um, there's something interesting. So we're, we're, we just studied 1 Timothy. We're in 2 Timothy right now. We're going to be looking at Titus next. Those three letters are what are often called the pastoral epistles. And what's really unique about this is we got to remember something going on here. That, that the church is getting rolled out, and the church is getting started, and, and it's, it's, it's growing like wildfire, and it's the apostles who are being used by the Lord to do this, you know, to plant those first churches, and then to bring that New Testament scripture to the body of Christ. And, and what's happening here with Paul and Timothy is something really neat, and in these three uh, pastoral epistles, what's happening is... Paul is making sure that he's handing off the baton from that apostolic leadership moment in time to this new elder, local elder leadership of the body of Christ and of the churches. The apostles, they were all men, and frankly, they all got martyred, except for John, who should have died many times. And they had to hand the church over to a new form of leadership, and structure. And that is what's laid out in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and also in Titus, these pastoral epistles. It's Paul helping successfully hand the baton to what is now the form of leadership that we have in the New Testament church. From that moment after the apostolic leadership time, all the way up to now and ongoing until Christ returns. Anyway, let's go to point number two. Leadership is important. Speaking of leadership, leadership is important. Paul says this, in chapter 2, he says, You then, my son, speaking again to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men. Speaking of those elders, overseers that he talked about in 1 Timothy. Entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. I want to say this about leadership. Leadership isn't easy. How many of you have been in the place of leadership in some form, whether it's church, business, whatever it might be? What a, leadership isn't easy. And spiritual leadership is a big responsibility. And you see that in 1 Timothy and also in Titus when all the qualifications and everything are laid out about those who are going to be in spiritual leadership. Leaders have to carry a lot. They've got to deal with a lot. How many of you know that issues happen in the church? You're like, yeah, I was just part of one recently. No, anyway. <laughs> Maybe you were the cause of one recently. Ah! Anyway. <laughs> But, but issues happen in the church. They do because, you know what, people are involved and we're still being sanctified. You know what, if we hang in there together through it all, we're going to come out even better each time, okay? 
So don't go running as, as soon as things get tough or an issue happens and somebody says something silly to you or quote-unquote offends you. Don't take up the offense. Come on now. We're going to work it through. We're brothers. We're going to spend eternity together. Let's honor the Lord in how we deal with this today. Anyway, so I've learned this over the years as, in leadership. If you neglect a problem, it doesn't just go away. In fact, when you neglect a problem... It almost always goes from bad to worse. And it can get pretty bad when you neglect something. In fact, it can ultimately blow up in your face. And it can even blow up a church. You've seen many churches over the years that have been blown up by issues that went unaddressed. Conflicts and, and disagreements that aren't handled well church splits that happen as a result. So having the right leaders is imperative, and that's why we have these pastoral epistles, because leadership is important. But it's not, it's not easy and comfortable to have to confront the issues and to confront people who are stirring up the issues. It's not easy to come to somebody and say, hey, brother, you're out of order, man. You're out of order. It's not the first thing I run to. If, if you're on staff here, you know I'm, I'm not somebody who loves confrontation. I'm not. But I'll deal with it when it needs to be dealt with because that's what leaders do and that's what the Bible instructs us to do. And we do that here at Evident Life Church. Why? Not because we like to wrestle with people or punch people in the face, which we don't do either one of those, by the way. I was talking spiritually in that sense. But uh, anyway, but we love the flock. And a leader that loves the flock is willing to do things that are uncomfortable and hard for the betterment of the body of Christ. And those are the kind of leaders that Paul is telling Timothy to look for. Strong leaders who love the church enough to deal with issues so the church is protected, so the church is healthy, and so the church grows. There's a doctrinal issue that's pointed out um, by Paul to Timothy that, that needed to be dealt with quickly before Timothy came and visited Paul. And it's mentioned here in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 2. He says, their teaching, speaking of false teachers again, will spread like gangrene. There's a picture for you. And then among them, these false teachers, again, another way you don't want your name to be one of these, but anyway, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who've departed from the truth. And here's how they've departed. They say that the resurrection has already taken place. And by teaching this false doctrine, it says that they destroy the faith of some. And that would definitely cause a lot of concern and strife if you're a believer. So what you're saying is that we missed it? Yeah, that, that would get people's attention and, and probably stir up a lot of trouble in the church. We missed it? Now what are we doing? Who's to blame? You know, why didn't you let us know? That, that would cause a lot of problem, stir up a lot of concern. But they're teaching today that also destroys some faith. And, and I just I want to point out a few that, that concern me and the church and that I've seen cause a lot of issues in believers' lives. One of them is that, that name it, claim it doctrine and teaching that's out there that, that really distorts who God is, makes him out to be a genie in a bottle, 
makes it all about us, makes it all about, you know, we can get what we want by just naming it in the name of Jesus and, and, and standing on some sort of authority or, or we deserve it kind of place. And, and it's not healthy, it's not biblical, it's wrong, and it destroys a lot of people's faith. Because when they don't get it and the going gets tough and, and life hits them smack dab in the face, they don't even know who Jesus is. They don't even know who the Heavenly Father is. He's not a genie in a bottle. The other one that, that I believe is, causes problems with a lot of believers, and we're seeing it more and more lately, is, is people who make God's sovereignty and, and use that and make it out to be as though God is the author of things that he's not the author of, like the author of evil, the author of death, the author of rape, the author of every single evil thing that mankind does. Somehow God has sovereignly deemed that and determined that to happen and actually is the cause of it. Several bad things happen as a result of that. People blame God for things that God didn't do. People blame God for, for the sin of man. It's very clear where death came from and where death still comes from. It comes from sin. There was no death before sin. There was none of the things that lead to death before sin. And it was mankind who sinned and brought death and all of these other sick and twisted and broken things into this world. And even the causes of death, like sickness, all of those things. There's a lot of people who have been deconstructing their faith lately. And one of the common things that we read, and I've been reading and listening to stories of people who are deconstructing their faith, and one of the common things that, that we hear from people, meaning they're walking away from God. See, what happens is life hits, and some of these have been pastors of megachurches, Joshua Harris being one of them. We, we know that story. That's years old. But it's not slowing down, it's speeding up. And one of the stories that we hear, one of the words that we hear, and the reasons why is, well, if God will allow that to happen, if God is the one who causes this kind of sick evil to happen on this planet, I could never follow a God like that. It's because they don't know God, the God of the Bible. Every good and perfect gift comes down from Him. He's the one who stepped down into the world because of the sin and brokenness and brought life. I've come that you might have life and that to the full. Read James. Where does sin come from? Where does all this stuff come from? Not from God. He would never tempt us, nor is he the author of sin. It comes from us and our brokenness. Those are just some of the things. You see, what we believe, what we're taught... How we understand God is important, and it can destroy the faith of many. That's why Paul harps in all of his letters on the importance of doctrine, talking about these things, talking about who God is, and how God interacts with mankind. So important. Both the examples I gave examples present, I believe, a low view of God. All right. Leadership is important. Who leads is important, but also how we lead is important. Point number three, weak leadership is dangerous. Weak leadership is dangerous. Chapter 3, verse 3, verse 1. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Isn't that exciting? 
Not at all. But it's true because God says it here, right? There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, lovers of the, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's a big one, by the way. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. I don't want to fall into any of those categories. It should be a wake-up call for us. Could somebody bring me a water? I'm preaching. I need some water. Arr. Anyway. I'll do that with a smile on my face now. I don't want to fall into any of these categories. And it's interesting that at the end of this list of all of these treacherous, horrible, brutal, out-of-control things is this statement. They have a form of godliness. A form of godliness, but denying its power, God's power. Y'all, God is God and we are not. Do you know that he is supernatural? You know what that means? It means he's above, outside of the natural. God's not like us. God think, does things that, that not only we can't do, but we wouldn't even think of doing. And he does things that, that to our natural minds seem kind of crazy. But who are we to call God crazy if it's God who's doing these things? I want to be somebody who engages with God on His terms. Can I get an amen on that? We want to engage with God on His terms. Even if His terms seem a little outside of the box, a little unorthodox, even a little strange. Did you know that God calls us peculiar people now? Because we should start acting, looking a little bit more like God every single day. We're made in His image. We've been redeemed now. We are Christians, little Christ, being made like Him more and more and more, being sanctified. And so we should be seen as the world as peculiar. Because God is peculiar to this world. He's other than. He's other than. It gets uncomfortable from time to time to follow God, even to be in the presence of God. And when God does things that are outside of the natural, it can, it can be uncomfortable. You know what I love? And one of the reasons I love it is probably a little, little kind of devious side of me, possibly. But I love it when somebody brings a tongue in a public service. A tongue, you know, like talked about in 1 Corinthians. Bringing a word from the Lord in a different language, in a heavenly language. I love that. I get all excited. It's like I get goosebumps and I get like, and it's, part of it's because it's God's speaking and God's moving supernaturally in one of our gatherings. The other reason I get excited is because people are getting uncomfortable, man. And I'm like, this is awesome. But it's an awesome opportunity to pastor in that moment. To say, yeah. Sometimes when God does things that are outside of something natural, 
It can feel uncomfortable. But God has said, this is how I move. This is who I am. This is how I interact with my, with my church. And so now it's our opportunity to go, okay, God, that's uncomfortable. That's odd. But you're God, and we're not. What do you have? What are you doing? And we humble ourselves before him and hopefully get a little excited because God is speaking. And he's here. But it can be uncomfortable. In the last days, the church is going to have to be okay with God doing what God does. In the last days, which we're in and have been in and will continue to be in until Jesus returns, the church is, if we're going to have any chance it won't be because we're operating in our own strength. It won't be because we have special programs and, and we can manage things so well and, and we can put on events so beautifully and wonderfully and, and we can do just the perfect lighting and have the perfect music and all these kind of stuff. That's not what's going to cause the church to triumph and excel and thrive in the last days. That's not it. What's going to cause the church to thrive and actually take ground and glorify God in the last days is when we let God be God. And we don't deny His power, but we embrace His power. The, the world needs to, church, uh, needs to see a church that embraces the power of God. Doesn't try to put God in a box. I think the church can be also ineffective these days when we, because we typically have put God in a box. Not a good thing to do. You know, from Pentecost on, the church has stepped away from the safety zone. And being indwelled with the Holy Spirit, believers have moved in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need to be willing to do the same thing. What would have happened on that day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down, tongues of fire, blowing the doors and windows off of that place, filling them with, with tongues and, 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 and speaking the gospel in different languages and, and, and saying, go out in the streets and do that. What if they would have said, this is strange, this is weird, we got to shut this down, we got to keep it right in here right now because people will think we're crazy. No. They embraced the power of God on that day. And 3,000 people came to Christ because of that. The gospel was preached boldly. 3,000 people were saved and baptized on that day as a result of not denying God's power, but letting God be God. That's how Paul ministered in 1 Corinthians 2. It says, I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. Now, this is Paul. Listen, this is Paul who was used to write half of the New Testament, right? He says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. And you're thinking, what? I read your letter to the Romans. Those were amazingly wise and persuasive words. I mean, amazing truth and doctrine. But he says, no, that, that wasn't, that's not the special sauce. But instead, there was a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That's how I came to you. So that your faith might not rest 
on human wisdom, you being able to figure it all out, but instead on God's power, that God is God, and God is moving, and God is doing what only God can do, and that's what our world needs right now. They need God who can do what only God can do, not what smart men can do. They need God's power to move in and through their lives, to convict them, to save them, to rescue them, to do what they can't do. God's power. So I choose to let God be God. I choose in the midst of old culture to boldly preach his word and to share the gospel of Jesus with as many people as I can to let the Bible direct my life. And I also choose to eagerly desire and with great zeal eagerly desire all that God has for his church, including the gifts that he has for his church. And to not put him in a box. Yes, to use wisdom. And, and as he says in 1 Corinthians 14, to, to be wise about all of this kind of stuff so that it's most beneficial for most people. But man, I want to let God be God. This world, these dark times, needs a church that's operating in the fullness of God. And I want to pastor a church like that. I want to be part of a church like that. demonstration of God's power. All right, the fourth final point is this. It's KISS, but I'm using only one S, K-I-S, because I don't want to say the last word because I'm not supposed to do that. I, we had a homeschool family, and you can't use that last word of, of keep it simple, but I'm, I'm saying keep it Scripture. Keep it Scripture. That's a big message that we get from the Apostle Paul to Timothy here. Keep it Scripture, son. Keep it Scripture. The systematic, ongoing teaching of Scripture is imperative in the body of Christ, in the church, and for every single believer. It says in, in 2 Timothy 3, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it. By the way, do you know who's teaching you? We, you can listen to anybody in the world at any time right now. Go out, Google it, right? Do you know who you're listening to? Do you know their life? Do you know where they're really coming from? I'm just saying. Oh, but they got a lot of YouTube, you know, likes. I'm just saying. Paul says, you know where you've, you've received this truth. And then he says, and how from infancy you've known what? The Holy Scriptures. And what are the Scriptures able to do? Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Do you know the Scripture itself, speaking Scripture, people hearing the gospel of Jesus, the Scripture of Jesus, who Jesus is, is powerful enough to bring them to the place of, yes, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, and His name is Jesus. Scripture is powerful enough to do that. To make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on. He says, hey, hey, Timothy, remember this. All Scripture, Old Testament, it's not expired. We haven't moved past it. In fact, the New Testament is nothing without the Old Testament. It is all his story. Anyway. I'm, I'm, it's, by the way, anybody says we've unhitched ourselves from the Old Testament, and we're moving on, we're past that now, we've graduated from that, run. Run. It's no longer the Bible at that point. It's no longer the Word of God at that point. You've departed from orthodoxy. You've departed from God's Word. 
Just saying. Verse 16, all right. All Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. Here it is, all Scripture. God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Look, the church isn't charged with giving people tips and tricks on how to live a good life. The, the church is not charged with, as a self-help organization. That's not who we are. We're not a self-help, we're not life coaches here. This is not what the church is designed for. Rather, the church is charged with teaching Scripture, the Word of God, which is able to save us and is able to equip us, thoroughly equip us for every good work, for everything God has called us to do as the people of God. That doesn't mean that all we're supposed to do is just teach Scripture. That's not what we're saying here. But that is a primary function of the church. The wisdom of man is powerless, but the word of God won't return void. If there's anything good, look, if there's anything good, people will come up to me at the end, uh, at the, end of the service, and, and about one out of every, you know, 30, 40 weeks, somebody will say, wow, that was a great message, Pastor. I'm just kidding. Some of you are very gracious, but wow, that was a really great message, and I'm going to tell you, and, and I, if I ever say this to you, it's not me trying to be some kind of false humility or anything like that. Seriously, I'm being serious when I say, well, if you got anything good out of this morning, it was because the Word of God was preached and delivered as it was given to us. I'm just telling you. that, that If you get it, I got nothing. I got nothing. My little story's great, wonderful. Maybe they help connect something. But all, all any of this, uh, my whole desire is to get the Word of God out there and into all of us. That, that's it. That's it. At Evident Life Church, we don't use the Bible to make the preacher's point. I, 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 try, I do everything I can. I don't want to try to come to you and go, I just want the, the church needs to know this. And so, so how can I make them know this, God, by wrapping it up in Bible verses and getting my way? Don't do that to your wives, husbands, by the way. Woman, Ephesians 5 says, Submit. That's when you bring it to the elders of the church and we have one of those confrontations. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? It's one of those things. Um, look, at Evident Life, we don't use the Bible to make the preacher's point. Rather, we let the Bible use the preacher to make God's point. To make God's point. Because you don't need what I got. You need what God has. And he has the word of God for us, for all of us. A church that neglects the teaching of scriptures and neglecting their duty. And there's this quote that I love. Um, it says this, uh, first of all, Jesus said that, that God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. So we've talked about spirit. We've talked about how God moves in power, how the Holy Spirit indwells us, all those kind of things. But we got to have truth. And here's, I love this quote. It says that the word without the spirit, you dry up. And there's a lot of Christians out there who are pretty dry. The word without the spirit, you dry up. The spirit without the word, you blow up. There's a lot of churches out there that are just flat out wacky. They need the Bible right now, like right now, right? But the Spirit with the Word, you grow up. That's God's way. Look, the Christian life isn't for sissies. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. It's not. The Christian life is not for sissies. It's an all-in proposition. It's going to hurt sometimes. For some, you're going to experience severe persecution. For some, it might cost you your job, your reputation. 
even your life, I don't know, man. I mean, who knows what's going to happen a year from now, five years from now. I don't know. It's not for sissies. If we're in it, we're really in it. But it's all worth it because he is worth it. This is what we're signing on to. And, 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 and Paul says to Timothy, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And I want to encourage us as Paul encourages and says, keep your head in all situations then. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. In other words, fulfill your ministry. And look, we were singing about this earlier. We were pressing into this earlier. If God is for us, who can be against us? And He is for us. He cares for us. He's for us. He was for the Apostle Paul who was in a prison in Rome and then put to death by Nero. He was for him. He was with him. And Paul received the reward. Because he's with him. He's with him. And that's what we have all waiting for us. However we get there. So I want, I want to just say enjoy reading through the letter of 2 Timothy this week. Soak it in. I mean that. Soak it in. And fulfill your ministry. As you stand, I'm going to close this out by reading 2 Timothy 4, verse 22. It's a short verse. I want to speak this over us right now as a blessing over our lives. And as I'm speaking this, I want to invite the ministers to come forward. And Paul says this, and I want to declare this over all of us right now. The Lord be with your spirit, and grace be with you all. The Lord be with your spirit and grace be with you all. Grace is the power of God. The power of God that rescued us out of darkness and brought us into his marvelous light. Grace is the power of God that continues to transform us and lift us up and move us from glory to glory. Grace be with you all. You have it. Grab hold of it today, this week. Fulfill your ministry. Be unashamed and testify of the Lord Jesus Christ this week.